So as, as people are coming in, we're just going to start our worship experience right now. So feel free to stand and join us as we sing, Holy is the Lord. Amen.
Amen. You may be seated. Well, it is good to have you here in this uh, Thursday night chapel, if you will, and it's good to have Dr. John Perkins with us, and I'll introduce him in a little bit. Uh, just to tell you a little bit about Dr. Perkins, though, uh, before the full introduction, he's still one of the most sought-after speakers in college chapels across the country. This semester alone, he's already been at Bryan and Gordon and Geneva. He's here at ENC. He's at Anderson next week and uh, just travels all over the country speaking to college students. And we take a group of students to his uh, place in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, three of the last four years, we are going again this March. So those, for the students that saw those Fusion Mission brochures, if after hearing from Dr. Perkins tonight, you'd like to go and spend a week with him down at his house. He leads a Bible study every morning. We work on the property there and uh, work with the ministry. And uh, you can find out more about that. But tomorrow, one of the great things about when we travel there, he does a Bible study uh, for the teams each morning. He comes in and leads a Bible study, which is a great Bible study. He also has a 5 a.m. Bible study, 5.30 a.m. Bible study that we went to once, um, and that was a great 5.30 a.m. Bible study, Dr. Perkins, uh, and that was the only one I went to, and I appreciated what you had to share at 5.30 in the morning. Uh, but he's going to do a Bible study tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. Uh, in the President's Dining Room. So if you don't have class and you'd like to uh, join and see what Dr. Perkins' Bible study is like, you can be a part of that. I think we're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians he shared with me earlier, I think, and uh, so we're excited. Uh, We're excited about that. And again, of course, he'll be speaking in chapel tomorrow, and uh, hopefully you can be there as well. He also asked if we could bring the pulpit down. He wants to just be among the college students and speak to you, so he's going to speak down here. So maybe those in the choir, if you're in the balcony, might want to come down to be closer and then maybe even take some questions later. Uh, But Dr. Perkins, it's an honor to have you uh, with us uh, this evening. Uh, Let us begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your many blessings. Thank you for the privilege it is to gather in your name and worship. Thank you for this... uh, a man of God who has faithfully served you for 83 years in ministry through some many trials and many tribulations, but also many joys and great victories. Uh, so may we learn from him tonight what you have to say to us through him and through his life and tomorrow in the Bible study and in chapel. And just be glorified in all that we do and say. Bless this gospel choir. Anoint them, we pray, not only for this night, but through the remainder of the semester and the tours and all the school year they have ahead of them. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, everybody, I'm going to need you to get up. Come on, we're going to stand up, sing the song. It's called Glory, Glory to Our King. I'm going to sing one part. You guys are going to follow along. The choir is going to follow along with us. So everybody, let's go. Bye. 
Jesus a big applause tonight. Have a seat for a moment. In 19, about roughly around 80, 84, 86, um, I was, I don't know, I was probably, I wasn't even born yet. <laughs> that wasn't funny. Um, but Richard Smallwood wrote a song uh, that became somewhat of a gospel classic. The song said, I love the Lord because he heard my cry. Whitney Houston, the late Whitney Houston, will go on and sing this song as part of the, uh, the, the, the preacher's, I forgot the movie's name, The Preacher's Wife, thank you, for that soundtrack. But it's, it's a very powerful song that was written at a very interesting moment in his life. It says, I love the Lord, he heard my cry, and pitied every groan. As long as I live, I will hasten to his throne.
will hasten to his throne. No matter what storms may come my way, I will hold on to him. Because he's holding on to me. And with that confidence, I can sing, Lord, I stand on you because you never fail.
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are God and that we can stand on you. Thank you for this wonderful testimony, this wonderful word that this choir has brought to us this evening. Now may our hearts and minds be opened. May each one of us draw closer to you this evening, wherever we may be on our spiritual journeys. We pray your blessing and anointing upon the words of Dr. Perkins. Speak through him the way you've spoken through his life for these many years, and might we be forever changed. We pray these things now in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Will you please thank the NC Gospel Choir? So there is a brief bio I have here of Dr. Perkins, um, but it's really difficult. We would be here for quite some time, and books have been written and will be written about his life. Uh, but just to give a brief synopsis in just a couple of words. In do- 1960, Drs. John and Vera Mae Perkins began Mendenhall Ministries in rural Mississippi to help the poor in that area meet their own needs. And if students, if you travel with us to Mississippi, we'll go visit Mendenhall Ministries. Just another plug for our sp- a spring break trip to Dr. Perkins' place. After establishing the ministry, the Perkins moved to Jackson to minister in inner city fa- to inner-city families through Voice of Calvary Ministries. Students that choose to travel with us on the fu- Fusion Spring Break trip, we will visit Victory Voice of Calvary Ministries in Jackson, Mississippi. Just another plug in case you're interested in attending. In 1983, they moved to Pasadena, California. We will not be going to Pasadena, California for the uh, spring break trip, but they moved to Pasadena where they established the John M. Perkins Foundation for Reconciliation and Development. Here their mission was to advance the principles of Christian community development and racial reconciliation throughout the world. A few years later, the Perkins moved back to Jackson, Mississippi and took the John and Vera Mae Perkins Foundation with them. To this day, they are working to help the community to reflect the kingdom of God through families and children of the neighborhood. Just one story I'd like to share. Um, if you were to come with us to uh, the Perkins Center, the staff do not like it when Dr. Perkins starts walking around the property or if he goes out into the garden. Because if there are college students around, he has told us many times, and this is one of the reasons why I wanted to have him here. This is, he's calling it his farewell tour of Boston, his last visit to Boston. He says he wants to pour the last years of his life into college students. And I need to tell you, that 5.30 Bible study, there are college students there. He has a Tuesday night study for women, uh, college women that work at the ministry, college students. And if he sees college students around, he immediately goes up to them and starts talking to them about what God is doing, what God wants to do in and through them. So the staff don't like it when he comes outside because he knows no one's going to do any work because Dr. Perkins is just going to start talking to him and investing and pouring, pouring his life into them. One young man that I do want to meet that is with him, you may have noticed, uh, he has a young, fine young man here with him. Thad, please stand. This is Thad Winkle. Will you agree, Thad, <laughs> this evening? Uh, Thad said we were one of the favorite groups he ever had in <laughs> Jackson, Mississippi. And uh, he is a 2012 graduate of Calvin, Calvin uh, College and uh, has been working, uh, being assistant to Dr. Perkins for this last year or so and travels with him. Well, uh, without further ado, will you please give a warm welcome to Dr. John Perkins? That choir really helped me. It was a symbol of what I've been wanting to see for the last 53 years. 
I wanted to see the power of the gospel released in one of the greatest eras of, of conflict and violence in the world. And it's, a, it's the, probably one of the most ignorant fights, biblically, you could fight. And that would be a racial fight. Because we weren't we going on a wrong assumption. And 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 and, and, and it's missing the very opening of the biblical text. And the assumption is there's a lot of races in the world. And so we are fighting the air. The devil is a sly old fox. And what has created the greatest misery in the world has been this mislie concept that there is more than one race. It's, it's pretty clear in the Bible, especially. It's clear in terms of creation. It's clear in, even in terms of evolution. That God made from one blood all of the ethnic nations that dwell upon the face of the earth. So we don't really have a racial problem. We're fighting the wind. We're fighting the boogeyman. That's why we can't win it. There, there, there's not much solution to it. Because it's not a big problem with God. Boy, our founding fathers, it, it would almost have to be a divine revelation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all humankind was created equal and was endowed by their creator with certain rights, chief among those uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And he created the earth and everything in it as man's life base for existence, for existence in earth. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof and all that dwell in, the gold, the silver. And he told man in the creation to subdue it, take this God divine knowledge, turn it into technology and manage the resources for the sake of life. And Jesus affirmed that as the almighty incarnated God, he said, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And racism is a way of affirming people's inferiority based on power, based on power in our society. And then we took the motivation, the very motivation for God's redemptive work in Scripture is his love and his justice because he's absolutely holy. The biggest biblical question is this. How could a holy God allow fallen sinful humanity to come into his presence? That's a justice issue. That's a justice issue. Now it's going to take God himself to come and be made like another human being, and then he's going to die, the just for the unjust, so he can bring us to God. Create a religion and leave justice out. You have created a monster, a monster in the world. 
monster in the world. How did we get there? We got there by the lie, 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 lie. The devil is a lie from the beginning. And we live by that lie. We, lie, we fight the wind. We fight the wind, the wind. Not the wind, wind. <laughs> but we are fighting the air. We're beating the air. And we're using our resources to beat the air. The, the, the reason for the redemption is to affirm the oneness of God. That's what Abraham found. That's the faith that Abraham found in the midst of people organizing gods around their own selfish interests. There is a God who created man, and that's the first message. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. The incarnation message is that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father. We are fighting the wind. We are fighting the boogeyman. The boogeyman. What God wanted us to do is to show the world his redemptive power by our oneness so that the world could know that we belong to him because of the love we have one for another. He knows that the boogeyman fooled us in the Garden of Eden. And we're fighting that battle. Uh, all of our coffee drinking and meeting together with white folks and black folks sitting down trying to like enough, like each other ain't powerful enough. Selfish interest and economic control is more powerful than that in our world. And we preaching a gospel absent of justice. And that was the very purpose of this God coming into the world. And as old former Amos said it right, he went into an idolatrous city where they wrapped religion around their economic advantage. And God called Amos, a very successful businessman, into that city. He said, because they are selling the poor for a pair of shoes, you know, they, 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 they are selling Nikes. They are making them in Bangladesh in huts that's not fit for people to make them in, that they're dying making these Nikes and things for $2 and selling them here for $200 and not even providing a decent place. I can hear, I can hear, I can hear Amos saying, let justice roll down like water and righteousness as a mighty Justice and righteousness is the same thing. Same thing. Justice and righteousness is one coin, two sides. Two sides. And we have created a, a religion. Praise God that justice is returning back to the church. Praise God for that. And that you guys are the representatives. The acquire his representatives. Uh, we, got to, we, got to, we got to make visible the kingdom of God. That's the idea of the church. You might say in a way that the nation of Israel, why it delivered in terms of God's intention, it looks like a failure. But it makes way for the Redeemer, the Redeemer to come. And that he came 
and the word was made flesh and dwell among us, and we beheld his glory. That's the incarnation of God. God has always wanted to live in us and among us. That was a similar little tabernacle. He wanted to live among his people. He wanted to be there. But 2,000 years ago, he came. He came, and it was good news. The biblical text is that really angels can't sing. But the news was so great that when he came that night, the sky opened because it was the best news ever heard. It was a longing. All the longing of the years we met in these tonight. Good news, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. Monty, you was born this night in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And we human beings have the privilege of working together with that God. He came to enlist us as his people to involve us. Oh, when the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that faith is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not as our own works, lest anyone should boast. But we are his workmanship. We should say, praise God. Praise God. I still want to do something for God. I still wish now, after 53 years, that I could do something for God, that I could be a worker together with God to reflect his love and his kingdom here on earth. Choir, y'all did it tonight. Just going up on the stage, just singing his praises to God, uh, black, white, Jew, and Gentile, uh, together, making a little bit visible what God can do, and then praise him. Y'all going to join that great choir and they're going to say, who are these over here dressed in white? Who are these? They're going to say, these are the ones who came out of great tribulation, washed their garments in the blood of the lamb, and that's why they are praising God day and night. They're going to be like it was on Pentecost when he started. There was people there from every race, ethnic group on earth, and the Holy Spirit came and sent them out. And as they went out in that primitive world, as they went out, early on, Paul and Peter met up there at Antioch. And Peter was still playing the racial game. The racial game. When the people came from Jerusalem down there, the Jewish segment, Peter and Barnabas got carried away. They had to go discriminate against each other. And Peter didn't say that you are discriminating in what we need as affirmative action. He said, you are not behaving like the gospel. You're not behaving like the gospel. Have you heard the joyful sound? Jesus saves from that kind of garbage. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. And that displays the power of God. That displays the power of God. It's breaking through. It's breaking through. God's going to do it. You can't stop it. It's on its way. A new humanity is arising in the world. We can no longer recolonize people. We done tried it. We couldn't recolonize in, in, in Korea. We lost that wall. We couldn't colonize Vietnam. We lost that wall. We couldn't colonize uh, Afghanistan. You, because once people have been free, you can't enslave them again this day. Because the media is there. The media is there. I've been sometimes I go into the ghettos and black folks are using all of their time saying these white folks are gonna re-enslave us again. They would create 
40 million terrorists. Terrorists. You ain't going to do that no more. Why don't we get on God's side? Why don't we be on the liberation side? Why don't the church become the church in our world? And be the liberal. They call on us to do that. That's the message. It says that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, and has given us that ministry. That's what it's all about. What else is there? So that we might be one. That the world can know that we are his believers because of the love we have one for another. Show me. Show me. There is not one attribute of God that can deal with injustice. Injustice is not on your side. I go into the little high school in Mississippi, the former headquarters for racism today, and I talk to these little white and black children today, and this becomes good news. The good news. There's a whole new group of people raising up. That they are beginning to like and love the different. They are traveling around the world so their lives can be enriched by the culture and the behavior of others. They go there to learn. We're not, they're not coming to colonize people. They're not coming to put them on ships and carry them and make them slaves in the world. They are going there to learn. We're beginning to value each other. That we are created in the image of God. This is a new day. I tell those young kids, the young white and black out in them villages in Mississippi, I said the racists are going to lose. It's on false premises. It's on false premises. It, it, it messes up the image of God. We, we, we are here to bear the image of God here on earth. That's what the incarnation was all about. That God had to bear our image. And recreate us again. And if anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And all of this is from God who has reconciled us to himself and has commissioned us. Oh, Lord, have mercy. To be commissioned. I was a commissioner. I served on five presidents' commission. These are, these are, are projects that the president gets people to work on and to try to find a solution to those problems. And these are working all the time. You don't know about it. They're working. President select people. I worked on five of, of, of those commissions. And, boy, I, you know, I, I, I had a path. I could just walk through the gates of the White House. Boy, I was, I, did y'all see lean on me? Any of y'all see? Y'all know, I won't go there then. <laughs> Be too long for me to tell you anything about it. But, but I thought I was a very important guy. Yeah, yeah, one of those commissions, I met with the president eight times with the first uh, dialogue with him. I thought I was important. I mean, I was important. Yeah. <laughs> I remember one time I was in the airport in L.A., and I had on my, back in those days, pinstripes was in. <laughs> and I had on my pinstripe uh, suit, and I had on my plain red uh, shirt and my shaded blue uh, shirt. <laughs> In my red tie. I mean, I was in it pinstripe. <laughs> and I, I mean, I'm I, I, I went to Washington to meet with the president. And meet with the president. And, 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 I, and I went over to put the, it was back before all the security. And I went to put the tag on my, on my bag. And a, a wonderful white lady came up. She had on a fur coat, diamonds on her hand. She said, would you t- take care of my bags too? Boy, boy that, 
That brought me to where I need to be. She thought I was the janitor. She thought I was the bellhop in there, and I'm going to meet the president. They had color-coded me. They had color-coded racism. They had color-coded subjugation. And, and, and I couldn't work myself out of that one. I couldn't work myself out of that one. I got to believe I'm out of it. I got to believe that she made a mistake. She didn't know how important I was. She, 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 made a big, she made a big mistake. Now, now, I said that to say, if my head went crazy over that, what about Jesus enlisting us to be his servant? I, I, it, it gets me. I can't see how you have to beg Christians to do God's work. It don't match. It don't match that a holy God would come down, die for us, forgive us of our sin. And then, because I'm, I need that ongoing forgiving, boy, I'm prone to wonder. I'm pr- I don't live no careful life. Prone to leave this God I love. But I got a God who loved me and brought me salvation. He forgave me for the John Perkins and the Perkins family sin. That was our redemption. He forgives me today from my sin that I practice. He forgives me from that. He's going to carry me to, because he offered me salvation. Offered me salvation. And when I sin, I don't sin presumptuously, thinking that I, about that. But when I sin, I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And if I say I have no sin, I deceive myself, and the truth is not in us. But he says if I confess my sin... He bring it all to us. See, sin is our biggest problem. And little old bitty deals can't mess with sin. God have to bring a whole lot of himself. He have to bring himself. He have to bring his suffering. He have to bring his pain. He have to bring his blood. And as often as you do this, you're doing it and remember that there is a solution to man's sin. And he said, if I confess my sin, he's faithful. You can't be no more than faithful. He brings it all. He's just. You can't be no more than just. He brings it all to me. It's so, he brings it so strong that it's Paul who had the, the theology of the New Testament. Paul looked at that and he said, look like to me that God bring it all when you sin. He, he don't want us to live in our sins. He don't, he don't want us to he, he got a solution. He, got us a little, he, 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 he comes to us and he forgives us. Not only that, but he gives us power over sin. He says, whatever we, if we can't forgive others. People say that to me all the time. They say, how within you in the Brandon jail being beaten, brutalized by those people? I saw the sinfulness of sin. I saw the end of pride. I saw the end of white folks damage. They had to brutalize me to feel a sense of worth. Those were poor white folks. The sheriff, night watchman. You can't make me to be no night watchman. I ain't going to watch your stuff. I ain't going to watch your stuff in line. And these people needed a sense of worth. And those schools that clanmen didn't have no slaves. But the only thing they could use is brutality 
and fear. And I saw them, those little people. Uh, they look like little green people. I said, I, I want to preach a gospel that is stronger than my self-interest. I want to preach a gospel that can reconcile black, whites, Jews, and Gentiles. I can know if it's working. I can know if it's working. I can know if it's working when Jews and Gentiles themselves can fall out on their knees and say, Lord, forgive me for my ignorance and my stupidity to brutalize people in society, to kill them and put them in dams and those kind of places in the world. In the world, we need a gospel that can liberate. Our gospel got too many holes in it. Our gospel got too many holes in it. And, and we see suffering as evil. Suffering is a virtue. Suff, suffering, uh, Martin Luther King said it, if people haven't found something that's worth dying for, they're not fit to live. And this is the problem we're having today is commitment, commitment. We're committed to ourselves. We're committed to consumerism. We're committed. We have a prosperity theology, self-preservation. That's backwards. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and its justice and all the things that we need will be added to us. That's what the Bible teaches us. The rest of this stuff is man-made in order to satisfy our lust, our lust. I have a lust in life. We need some people who are committed. Committed to. I like the Apostle Paul. What he asked him, Who are you, Paul? He said, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When you make commitment, you make commitment strong in pain. In pain. You resolve that you're going to do That's why revolutionaries come out of jail. Because really jail is, is, is the last thing before death. And you can think more creative when you're in jail. You can think more creative when you're being tortured. Because that's what torture is about. Is it bringing you near to death when you think you're going to die? When you make a commitment there is no, no turning back. No turning back. Paul ties his commitment to his beating, his stoning. He said it's not only given that we should believe on Jesus Christ, but we should suffer for him. That reinforces our direction. In that jail, on that floor, in my own blood there, I said that we got to have a gospel that can redeem white folks too. We got to have a gospel that can redeem. We, they don't know. We don't know. It's difficult for us to know. Black in my community where I live, it's difficult for me to tell the difference uh, between the damage of our inferiority and our desire to be somebody. It, it, it takes incident for me to understand it. White folks don't understand the power of their superiority in society. You, you, you know, and that, that's part of Obama's saying. It is what Obama saying. Uh, people didn't know the depths. That stuff that they're doing is, is, is ununderstandable. That you 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 got six hundred millionaires that can't make a decision for the forty million Americans who don't have health care at all. 
it's, it's, and right now, it's no longer that that decision, it is now they don't know the depth of their hate for Obama. And so the stuff is not logical. And nobody is saying anything about the richest nation on earth. There is no European white nation on earth that don't have national health care for all of his people. We don't know the depth that we have for blacks and minorities and for Mexicans and somebody to be on the bottom of our society. It's illogical. We don't feel it. It's nonsense. The 600 millionaires who get insurance and pensions for life and ain't said a word about those 40 million who don't. We are the richest nation that ever been conceived in the history of the world. And the church is silent. The church is numb. We are damaged. We are damaged by our superiority, and we are da- I can see my damage in my community. If not many banks in my community, but there is these payday loans all over it. That's the worst economic exploitation. That's taking, that's taking people. They have to buy that paycheck again out of hop in our society. And nobody see that as evil. Nobody see that as evil. Where's the church? Where's the prophetic voice? Where's the light? Where is the concern? Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord God Almighty is upon me. For he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to the brokenhearted. He sent me to the blind, the lame. I was preaching the other day, and I was preaching with some rich people. And I was talking about the poor. And this guy was a mayor of the town. And he was proposing that. He said, show me the poor. I said, don't derail me. You don't like them, but don't really derail me. I like them. Ask me to show you the poor. Don't derail me. Don't, 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 don't throw up a smoke stream. If you don't want to do it, that's all right. If you don't want to do it, that's all right. Don't throw me. Show me the poor. Jesus told us who the poor were. He said, when they're hungry, feed them. He said, when they're naked, close them. He said, when they're in prison, visit them. He said, much of you are doing that, you are doing it for me. And then we go around. We go, and where is the church? Where is the church in all of this? Not only we got to talk about it, but we got to be it. We got to be the change we want to see. We, we, we got to move into these urban communities. And we got to plant multiracial churches in these communities. We got to become neighbors, neighbors, neighbors. Loving our neighbors as we love ourselves, as we love God. As we love God. We're at a new. Well, I'm so happy to see you guys. This is a new day. Everywhere I go, these young folks are seeing it. They're looking for a challenge. They believe in the dignity of other people. And society. And what a privilege. What a privilege we have this chance to become workers together with God. That we can be on God's team. Now, boy, and I love him. He bids us to come. He says, Come unto me, all of you that are worthy with what's going on and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn about me. We got to be disciples. 
learn about me. The Bible is pretty orderly. The people who, who put the scriptures in order, they did a pretty good job. Uh, in the New Testament, they put the four Gospels there so we can come to know Jesus. And they put the Acts there. They can form a church, his body. And then he put Roman there behind that to tell us the theology of God. Tell us why he died, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us back to God. That there is an unending redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And then we go there on there and he tells us how to be disciples in, in those epistles, the first Timothy, second Timothy, and in those uh, letters that he sent to the church and how to be the people of God. And then he showed us how it's going to end in Revelation. Babylon, this Babylon is going to fall. And right now it's falling. It's falling because of our own self-interest. It's falling. It's falling because of our own idolatry. We are developing policies to benefit us individually. Right now we got these congressmen that go there and stay 30 years in Congress. Instead of them going back to the manse and giving advice and teaching in school and sharing how the system works, they are setting up lobbying firms to teach the people and getting paid for teaching the people how to violate those laws, to navigate those laws in the society. That's what they are doing. And I don't hear no preaching about that. I don't hear no preaching about that. That's evil. That's organized evil. That principalities and power. That's weakness in high places. That's what the Bible talks about. The wicked have surrounded righteousness. Therefore, justice cannot go forth in our society. God is waiting on us, and he's calling us. He's going up and down the streets. He's going up and down the street. And he's saying the same thing. He's saying the same thing. He's saying, who will go for me? Who will go for me? That's what he said. He said that in a crisis in Isaiah's day. And he's saying it now. Who will go for me? The, town, the, the country is in misery. The great king is dead. And God is speaking. God is speaking. Who will go for me? He said that to about a 15-year-old guy. He heard it. I think he was in journalist school. He was studying to be a journalist. He was studying to be a recorder of the records of the history. And he was there. And he's heard it. And he didn't see any movement in the temple when he heard God's voice. Who will go for me? And I can see that young guy putting his hand up and saying, here am I. Send me. God is speaking tonight. And he's saying, who will go for me? Who will go for me? And if you say, here am I. He said, here am I, send me. And he became the speechwriter for Jesus. He became the, the journalist for Jesus. He, he, he wrote the handbook for Jesus. And when Jesus came and started his ministry, he pulled out his handbook, the book of Isaiah, and he turned to what we call Isaiah 61, and he opened it and began to read it. 
The Spirit of the Lord God Almighty is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He got ready to locate in a place where he's going to set up his ministry headquarters, Galilee of the Gentiles, Capernaum. And so he reached to go to Isaiah, and he said, where am I going to set up my headquarters? The land is sitting in darkness, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sit in darkness are going to see a great light. And those who sit in the shadow of death, light is going to come. When is he going to come and what is going to look like? He's going to say, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government is going to be up on his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. And he's going to set up an eternal, everlasting kingdom, and we're going to have a chance to rule with him in that kingdom. If you say tonight, here am I. Here am I. I said that 56 years ago. In a little holiness mission in Pasadena. What was my deepest cry? I realized I was born with, I grew up without a mother. I grew up without a father in my life deeply. And what I was longing for is love. Love. What I was longing for is a sense of belonging, a sense of somebodyness. That's what love is. Love is fulfilling that longing, that somebody. Love say that you belong to somebody. That's what love is. And I was seeking for that love. And I said that Jesus had died for me. And I said, if there's a God who loved me enough to come into this world to die for me, I want to get to know that love, that God, that God. And he forgave me my sin. And I fell in love with this God. I fell in love with this God. Love God. And through my story, I was reading the book of uh, Genesis, and I came to the call of Abraham. And I heard that call. Here I am, a third grade dropout in school. And then had all kind of experiences and felt with my people were bootleggers and gamblers. They called us the old Perkins. And I heard him call Abraham. He said, if you obey me, Abraham, get out from among your friends and go to a place I'm going to tell you to go. He said, I'm going to make you. That's the ciphership. That's, I'm going to make you. Jesus said the same thing when he called his disciples. Follow me and I'll make you. And I said this, that, God, I want to know this Bible. I want to read this Bible. I want to teach this Bible. And I said, uh, God, number one, would you redeem my name? Would you redeem my name? And would you help me to understand the Bible? And I had to say something, you know, when, when you get with God, fact been when you get God listening, you want to tell him what you really want. When you, when you, and I had God listening. I got God listening for a little while. And I said, if you will teach me this Bible, I'll uh, spend the rest of my life teaching it. And what I want to do with these last days of my life, I want to reach this young generation like this. You young folks are out here tonight for me. You are out here to fulfill my 
journey. I'm 83 years old. I'm assuming I got two or three more years to go. And this is what I want to be doing with the remainder of my life. I want to be doing that. I want to be doing what he called me to do. Trying to make the vision plain. Plain. So that, in fact, you can read it as you run. You can read it. And you're going to obey God. The last thing I want to say tonight is that what we got to do, we've talked about justice, we talked about reconciliation. What I want to do today is, with the rest of my life, is learn, and I'm learning this, I don't know this. I'm learning this. Every, as I think about renewal and revival and look at the places where there was a renewal in the Bible and since the Bible, it seemed like that people rediscover the just shall live by faith. I, I think that was the Martin Luther. Martin Luther is a great reformer. I think he found that you don't live by works. You live by faith. So we got to come back and inject faith. Inject faith. I, I, I don't think we are living by faith. I think that's another one of those holes that we got to fill up within the gospel. The just shall live by faith. So we got to believe something. And we got to believe what God says he can accomplish. And he enlists us to join with him to accomplish that. And so what are your goals? What are your hopes? What are your longing? What has God said to you? What have you heard God say? And then you got to walk out by faith. And God will part the rivers as we walk out by faith. And I think right now we are living by money. And we got some idea if we get enough money, we're going to do it. Oh, yes. You got to have the exchange. But this stuff belongs to God. This stuff belongs to God. The earth is the Lord and the fullness of the earth. We got we to trust in the wrong thing. Our trust got to be in God that made the heavens and the earth. That's the revelation of this God. That was the revelation of that God to Abraham. Y'all need to read the Abraham's account. As he led Abraham, he led him and he built up on his faith. Abraham believed a little and he acted up on that little. And as he built a little and a little, he gave him the big deal. He changed his name when he had no children. His name at birth was High Father. And, 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 at the, and when he changed his name, he gave him the father of many. He didn't have any children, but he believed it. He believed it, and he acted upon it. And so instead of us creating organizations, so many of them, to solve our problem, we need to bring them back into the gospel, bring them back into the promises of God, and then organize our faith and our people around it, and organize our church around these, yeah. and then believe that God, that we can work together with God, that he can become our shepherd, that he can lead us. He can lead us. That's where we're at right now. We're at a great place. We're at a great place. We're at a critical place in our history. We're at a critical place in our nation history. Do you think that those 600 people are going to let our nation fall off? And now we're already a marker of the world. 
So I listen to these international people, they think that we done gonna crazy. <laughs> and and they're, they're afraid, they hate that we're the number one nation. Because we don't act, we're acting like children. They're laughing at us. And, and they don't even know what we're fighting about. Fighting about health care? German people say, what are you talking about? We got health care for everybody. France said, oh, what, if hell, what are you talking about? That's the richest country on earth. England is saying that. Canada is saying that. Canada is saying, we like our health care. Only Americans tell y'all we don't like it. We don't tell you we don't like it. And it was robbing all those places. They got good health care. But I go in there and they give me the shot. They put me in that scanner and carry me through that thing and get me out of there quick, back on my feet. What are you talking about? They said, well, what are those folks talking about? They want their people to die? They don't want their people to work every day and to be well? They want these diseases to spread all over everybody? What's wrong with these people? We are laughing stock of the world. And the church is on their side. They're the chaplains of the Tea Party and the other party. No, you think I like the Democratic Party? It's no better than Tea Party. And you think I like the Republican Party? It's not much better than that. We don't like the one communist party, and that's the one in China, because they got our debt. We don't like no other communist. You, you get the idea? What we like? So what are we? We fighting to win, folks. We'll fight a booger man. Why don't we get on God's side? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this evening. I thank you for these wonderful young people. Oh, God, I thank you that they're beginning to feel their own dignity and the dignity of others. They are moving to the position that they can love their neighbors as they love themselves and praise God that they love themselves a whole lot so they can love other people a whole lot. And so, Lord, I pray that you would uh, bless this school. God, bless this school that you have put it right here in this urban center where the different nationalities are here and that we can reach out to them. Lord, bless this school. Bless these students. Give them the courage of their conviction while they're here and help them to Get good grades. Have them to be prepared as they go back to their communities to serve you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we thank Dr. Perkins? Let's go to the back. Tell them about the book. You ready to go in the back? We're going to go to the back. Well, Dr. Perkins is going to be back here at the book table and he'd love to meet you if you have the time so uh, he'll head back there and if you have a chance be sure to to say hello to him and then students tomorrow 8 a.m bible study in the president's dining room chapel 1025 hope to see you there have a great night
Rising from the ground 